Hi, everybody. Welcome to tonight's program with, Shir, with Coach Menachem. Tonight is Shir 146. Again, I start off every week. Thank you, everybody, who's part of it. You know, all the people that post on the WhatsApp statuses, email to everybody. And uh, we're here to talk about a very, very interesting topic tonight. And we have every week the best of the best come on to see Chaverim. And please join us. Be part of it tonight. If anybody wants to join our WhatsApp chat, please join us at 848-525-0066 and say my number. Or you can also go to menachembarenfolder.com and sign up for his flyer. Again, for the people that are watching the replay on YouTube, you can click on the like button and subscribe button and get every week the weekly share. I want to thank all the advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop here in Lakewood, and uh, Ellie and Ariel from 510 Central, Robin and Yanif from Kazakh, who's the one actually put us together with and originally in the first place, and Chayla Kalfin from JCM for promoting us on all the digital Jewish platforms. Uh, the Coach Menachem Show is collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and awareness to the Jewish community. On okclarity.com, you'll find the, you know, the best therapists, nutritionists, coaches, and you'll stay inspired. Coach Menachem is there. Follow their link and sign up for their statuses at 917-426-1495. It's 917-426-1495. And Coach Menachem will send out an email with all the information about that after the share. Again, if anybody's here the first time, it's every Sunday night at 9.30 Eastern time. And please join us. It's 146. We're doing three and a half years. It's time to join. So please join us. I mentioned next week, June 18th, we're going to have a surprise guest. It's not confirmed yet. So Menachem is still working on the details, but uh, hopefully it'll be a good share. Please join us. As, as always, they're always inspirational, they're powerful. So hope to see everybody next week. And again, tonight, Share 146. So we're going to turn it over to our CEO, the President, Arno Yechfri, to tell us what the Gematria of 146 is tied into tonight's program. Tonight's program, 146, you have to choose between Torah and financial stability, how to coexist as being a Yisach and a Zvulun simultaneously. So we came up with the Gematria 146. It's giving Gematria Yotza Yidei Choyva. How are we going to complete our obligation, the Yotza obligation, to coexist simultaneously as Yisach and Zvulun? And we hope to hear a lot of valid points bring us to this level. Okay, now we're going to turn it over to Coach Menachem Bernfeld. Tell us why we're here tonight. Give an opening. It's a very interesting topic. A lot of people text me, what are we talking about? What's the point? So try to lay it out for us. Yes, for sure. First of all, thank you so much. Thank you for that opening. And we want to welcome everyone another Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem with a lot of Siyad Dishmaya. We're doing tonight episode number 146. And it is a schos to have with us, Rabbi Reichman, back. And uh, Baruch Hashem, the first time, was very positive feedback. And uh, we learned a lot. And here we are to take it on the next step on the journey. And like we heard, tonight's topic is Torah it's not if we have to choose. So I guess we'll talk about it. But how to have both? And if it's possible. But the truth is, I believe everybody wants both. Why not? If I could get both, I'll take both. Everybody wants to have a full bank account. Never think about uh, financial, you know, everything should work out. And then they should be able to sit and learn. With Menichas HaNefesh, no daigus, sit and learn all day. Why not? It would sound amazing to have both. Now the question is, I know that many of us have beliefs and 
the Gemara says before we daven that Torah should go into our heads. We have to daven that Gashmius. We shouldn't be so connected to Gashmius. So there we go. That is that. That's number one. I would think Torah means a lot of Ruchmius and a lot of Gashmius. So. And then, and then the Mishnah says, So it's something that we need to figure out. Is that what it means to be financial stable while you're sitting and learning Torah? Maybe that's not what it means. Financial stable. But again, I think before we start, everybody should think, what, what does it mean? We're going to have some polls soon to see what are your thoughts. But to be able to, to see before we start, what are the beliefs that I picked up? What do I believe? Can I have both? Am I trying to have both? What am I doing about it? Do I believe it's possible? Or maybe I gave up already. So in Hashem, we should have a lot of siyat and And we'll discuss it tonight and send in all your questions. We have a lot of questions already. And teach us, Rabbi Reichman, show us the way. Thank you so much. Beautiful opening. Okay, let's just review the topic. Tonight's topic, do you have to choose between Torah and financial security? Is there any way to synthesize the models of Yisach and Zavulin together? That's really the topic we'll talk about. I'm going to read Shmuel's bio. Shmuel, take it away, okay? Shmuel Reichman is a best-selling author, international speaker, and the founder CEO of Self Mastery Academy. He's also a business executive and leadership coach consultant. With his unique approach based on Torah values and principles, he studied at Harvard, Chicago, U uh, Chicago, Reitz, and Yeshiva University, and has his best-selling book, The Journey to the Ultimate Self, serves as an inspiration, inspiring, inspiring gateway into deeper, deep, deeper Jewish thought. To enjoy more of Shmuel Reichman, you can go to can contact him. You can go to his website, ShmuelReichman.com. Shmuel, two things I want to say. First of all, obviously, Shmuel, we hold of you. You came back again. We want you back. We love you. And number two, the Elam says, Coach Menachem should be the surprise guest next week. Shmuel, take it away. Shalom Aleichem, so good to be back. So we're going to delve into what I think is one of the most incredibly deep topics, life-changing topics. I'm going to frame with a story. It's a story that I've shared many times, you've probably heard it before. If you haven't, it's definitely worth uh, really soaking this in. If you have, it's going to frame a very deep discussion that I've never shared in public, so it's okay, hold on to your seats. It's a story of a carpenter, and this carpenter was the best at his job. He loved what he did. He built houses. And he spends his entire life building masterpieces. And he's getting older, 50, 60 years old, and he decides that it's time to retire. He has enough saved up his bank account, goes to his boss and says, I spent my life building houses. I've loved what I've done, but I'm ready to transition, ready to move on with my life. And his boss says, you know, you're a best worker. It's hard to let you go. We're going to let you go. Can you just build one more house? Just one more house. So he says, I really, I just don't have it in me. I'm done. I just don't want to build any more houses. But the boss insists and says, can you please just do one more? So he said, okay, I'll do one more. But he's not into it. He's just not passionate. He doesn't really want to do it. Shoddy craftsmanship. And he just doesn't do his best work. He spent his whole life building these masterpieces, these beautiful structures. He's just building. It's, it's a very, compared to what he usually does as a piece of garbage. And six months goes by. The house is built, it's crooked, it's not really beautiful, it's not touched up, but it's a house. He goes over to his boss, knocks on his door, and he sees that his boss is smiling. He looks in the back room, he sees that everyone that he's ever worked with is standing in the house smiling. 
And his boss goes into his pocket, takes out a pair of keys, hands it to him and says, these are the keys to the house you just built. We wanted to give you a going away present. You just built your own house. We just wanted to say thank you for a lifetime of creating beautiful houses. And he's crushed. Of course he's crushed. Because if he knew that he was building his house, he would have built the most incredible house he'd ever built. He thought he was building someone else's house. He wasn't into it. So he just built a piece of garbage. And he's thinking, what a waste. This could have been my house forever. If I only would have known. So the Ramchal, the Maharal, the Rambam, the Ramban, the Maharal, they open up one of the most incredible topics. And they say that most people think that they have an Hashem. And they think that they spend their life serving Hashem, performing mitzvahs, learning Torah, to kind of check into some spiritual bank account that their neshama, their spiritual side of themselves will one day experience. But it's not them. Like, you're not going to experience the but your spiritual self will. So they don't really go all in. They don't commit. They don't build the most incredible, extraordinary, truth-oriented life they possibly could have because they think it's for someone else. And all these Bali Mashav explain that you don't have a neshama, you are a neshama your mind, a soul, inner consciousness, and you're building yourself. And yes, a major part of Omahab is experiencing the joy of what you've built in terms of the mitzvahs that you've accomplished, but the most fundamental component is that you get to experience you, like the literal self that you built, the inner world, the inner mind, the inner consciousness, the inner values, the inner ideals, how you've developed yourself, how you've built your inner world. And the journey of life is essentially figuring out who you're going to become. And that's the most important question is what's worth building? Like what should we be becoming with the time we have left in this world? And what I wanna to do today is I wanna talk about something very different than we talked about last time. Last time we talked about a lot of beautiful ideas in Machshava, we kind of framed how to take the journey to your ultimate self. But today I wanna to talk about something a little different even though it's fundamentally related. Because there is a problem. The problem is that life is incredible, but it's also very difficult. And in addition to the fact that there's pain and there's sickness and there's so many struggles in life, one of the biggest struggles in life is Adam's curse. The fact that we have to work and earn a living. The fact that we don't get to just sit around all day and be, we have to figure out how to support ourselves. And it's amazing to want to actualize your potential and learn Torah and serve Hashem and perform mitzvahs and do chesed and build chesedim and build the most extraordinary life. But most people, it's like, it seems like Adam's curse is the worst thing ever, right? Because if you really think about it, wouldn't it be better to never have to worry about money? You'd actually have the time to think and grow and learn and build and contribute. You wouldn't have bills to pay. You wouldn't have the stress and anxiety. There wouldn't be fights with your spouse and how to spend the money and how you're going to put your kids through school and how you're going to pay the bills. And it's like, why is this the life that we have? It would seem that it would be much more ideal for Klai Yisrael to all be a sacher, to all just learn, and for Hashem to take care of the financial component, but it's just not that pasha. And it's so like, it seems that Adam's curse is the worst thing that ever happened, that we don't get to live this beautiful, harmonistic, just tranquil life of building and growing and thinking and learning and contributing and giving. It's like so much of life is just worrying about how we're going to pay the bills. And yeah, there are people who financially succeed, most don't. And even if you're financially stable, there's just the constant stress of what about next year? What about this year? 
I'm going to keep my job. Am I going to get a better job? And it's like a lot of people, they hate their jobs. And it's like, it's not easy to say this, but a lot of people, they really don't enjoy their life. And they have this view of like, I'm just getting by. And they're just doing the same boring, monotonous things every single day for 10, 20, 30, 40 years with the hope of like one day, maybe things will be better. And one day, maybe I'll retire. One day, maybe things will get a big break, whatever it is. But a lot of people, they want to escape. And that's a very sad way to live life. And then you have people who are literally in love with Torah. Like all they want to do is learn Torah and think about Torah and talk about Torah and just serve Akash Baruch Hu, perform mitzvahs, act in, in the most beautiful chesed-oriented way and just devote their life to the truth. But it's such a struggle. And, and there's so much Messiah Snatfish where, like take a classic model where someone gets the opportunity to learn for five years. Right, they're being supported, maybe whatever it is, maybe they're not being supported, they're being most nefesh, but they're pushing aside the worry about making money and they're just sitting and learning this most beautiful thing on earth. But does that last? Like, really think about it. What ends up happening for most of these Yeshiva Bakram who get the opportunity to really sit and learn and focus on, on delving into the depths of Torah and living a life of Avodah Hashem and fulfilling the Ratzon Hashem and devoting the life to the truth. It's like that doesn't last forever, it lasts for a couple of years. And the rest of their life, they spend worrying about how they're going to support their family. If you have a big family, can I know if you have a big family? It's like, it's crazy. And here's where it gets really crazy. Think about the quality of learning. If you take 100 people who live that type of lifestyle, the quality of their learning, are they making the Mesotomotorah? Do they sit and have a Seder? Of course. But the agnus nefesh, the, the anxiety, the worry, the stress, it affects your quality of learning. So if the goal is not just to check off, I learned Torah, but to become a walking set for Torah, to live a life seeing the world through the lens of Torah, to deepen and interconnect, to build a Torah mind, to, to achieve Torah greatness, to actualize your potential, to go on this journey of really seeing what type of godless you can achieve in life, in Torah, in the world, in Klai Yisrael, how you can literally contribute your life to Klai Yisrael in the, in the highest ideal sense possible. If you're stressing about money, it just has, it takes such a toll on you and affects the quality of everything. Forget the quality of your health. It's like the quality of your intellectual, spiritual consciousness is just so fragmented. So what's going on? Like, why, like what is going on? Like, how does that make sense? Why should that be? And like, why are we talking about this? I'm going to just tell you, like, personally, Last time I shared a longer version of my story and like why I do what I do, how I got into going the direction I went on, I'm not going to really go down that path again. You can listen to it again. For the sake of framing this year, I'll just share one aspect. You know, I had, I had the life-changing elements in my life when I was 17, where I really had a wake-up call, near-death experiences, devoted my life to Torah, to greatness, to figuring out what I could become. But once I started down that journey, all I wanted to do was learn Torah. Literally, all I wanted to do was 18 hours a day, 20 hours a day, just sit, think, learn, write, teach. That's it. And you know, it was all areas of Torah. Gemara, Gemara, Halacha, Muslim, Achshava, all aspects of wisdom, all aspects of Torah begin. And it wasn't easy because when I started college, I was pre-med. It's a nice, cushy, safe trajectory. And I said, no, like, I'm not going down that path. I want to devote my life to Torah. And I got so much pushback. And more than pushback, there's just so much struggle because it's like, how, 
how am I going to make a living? How am I going to support a family? Depending on where you live, it's just not Pasha. You go into Chinuch, even if you go into Rabbanis and Chinuch, it's just not easy to support your family. And it's like, when I was going into Shaduchim, a lot of people say, oh, you want to be a rabbi? Like, you want to inspire Klai Yisrael? You want to educate, teach, write? Like, it's not for our daughter. And like Baruch Hashem, at this point, like they, they'd say something very differently if they looked at what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. But back then, I didn't have any proof that I was going to be able to do anything with my life. And it was really, it was like, besides for the struggle personally, like the biggest question I had was why? Like, why do we have to choose? Why do you have to choose between living a life of Torah, MS, purpose, passion, and meaning on the one hand, or to live a more practical life? You have a good job, you don't worry about paying the bills. You essentially figure out how to live a meaningful life. Say there, maybe you do dafiomi, maybe you check the box, go do a shir a week, a shir a day, get tzedakah, do mitzvahs. But like your mind, where your focus is, how you think, how you see the world, you're busy with the job. It's, you know, it's posh. You know, in terms of, you know, the, the quantity quality, maybe you have good quality learning. It's not quantity, right? The quantity of your day is making a pranasa. And the quality is you, you don't worry about the bill so you can learn. And people who learn all day and then struggle, whether in chinach or abanas or they're in kolal, they learn all day. But the quality of the learning might not be as good as it could be. And why should that be? Like, why do they have to financially struggle? Like, why does it have to be one or the other? And I was going through this existential crisis when I was just a young kid. And I realized that so many people were struggling with this. As, as I got older, I started realizing that it wasn't just like the beginning stage that you struggle with this question. It's like leaders, mechanchim, rabbonim, professionals, business leaders, CEOs, everyone's struggling with this question. How do I construct a life that actually makes sense, where I'm becoming everything I'm supposed to become and devoting the right amount of time and energy to the right things to do what I'm supposed to do and the way I'm supposed to do it, the way Hashem wants me to do it. And the most difficult thing is that it's not like we know what we should be doing, it's just hard to do it. It's that we don't even know where we should direct our energy and everyone's giving different kind of do this, do that. And we're being pulled in so many different directions. And people can live their entire lives where other people think they're successful, but deep down they know they're capable of so much more, they want so much more, they've never tried that path. People are professionals and they want to build their own business. People are abundant, they want to have financial security so they can teach what they want, how they want, write what they want, travel what they want, do what they want. There are people who are in business who want to pull away from their business, want to learn more. There are people who are learning more, want to build their business. It's like, this is not a push it. So, I basically went on a journey twofold. First of all, I just wanted to figure out how to do this for myself because I wanted to devote my entire life to impact and cliential teaching, inspiring, but I wanted to be able to financially support it so that I could do it well. We'll get into why that's important maybe later because when you can financially support yourself, you can also control the mission, which is every, every rev, every mechanic, every educator knows the struggle when it comes to politics, when it comes to financial support. This is literally like another fundamental question when it comes to Yisach and Zvulun. But more importantly than just for myself, like I really wanted to answer these questions to help other people because I saw Mechanchem who were struggling. I saw people who weren't going into education who would be extraordinary educators. They were becoming lawyers, doctors. They were becoming accountants because it was, it was practical, because they were getting pushed by their parents, because they wanted to get married, because they wanted to have kids, because they wanted to have... A menuchas nefesh, they can sit and learn for three hours a day, two hours a day, but good quality learning, not always worry where the bills are going to come from. And because they didn't know there was another option. 
so the question really is, what is the MS here? Like, wh what are we supposed to be doing and how do we do it? So let's, let's start like this. The Torah behind this topic is, is, is the most incredible Torah, which is if we start out with the premise that the purpose of life, why does Hashem create us? Hashem created us without getting into all the aspects of the Ramchal and he builds beautiful, beautiful structure, but we're here to actualize our potential. We are here to become everything that Hashem created us to become, every single one of us. And the definition of greatness, as the Rambam explains, is becoming everything you were born to become. Not becoming better than someone else, not objective greatness, it's becoming everything that you could become. What does that mean? What is that? So there's a famous Gemara Nida, it's the basis of my, my first Sefer, which is that when we were in the womb, we learned Kula Torah Kula. This Malach, this angel, teaches us everything, and right before we're born, this Malach hits us on the mouth and we forget it all. So all the Bala Machshava, especially the Vilna Gon, really points out the problem, which is why teach it to you in the first place? Like, first of all, why make you forget it? Like, why teach you all this Torah and then make you forget? But if we're going to forget it, why teach in the first place? So the Lenin says, first of all, you're not learning Chumash and Rashi. You're learning the purpose of creation, the deeper Torah. Stakel Brice of Hashem created the world with Torah. Torah is the blueprint of reality. But it's, it's the fundamental purpose of existence. And more importantly, the Lenin explains, you are being shown your unique purpose who you're supposed to become, what you're supposed to do in every aspect of life, in Torah, emotionally, physically, relationships, marriage, impact, what you're supposed to build with your life, who you're supposed to become, what you're supposed to contribute to the world, the clients are. You didn't forget it. You lost access to it. And your entire purpose in life is not to become great, it's not to learn a lot of Torah, it's to become you which obviously includes learning as much as you can, but the goal is not just checking off, like, I did this. It's to become you, to become someone, but to become you, to interact with the world, like a chemical reaction to see who you are, why you are, what you should become, where you should devote your energy, to become self-aware to the trajectory of your life, to learn how to manifest and direct your potential. And to essentially internally maximize your spiritual, intellectual, and emotional and physical growth. And then externally express that in the world, build amazing relationships, Get, literally contribute your life to others. Everything that you can become, you can then give and transmit to the world. Every idea you learn, you can share with others. It's literally the journey of becoming you. And now we get to the big question, which is how do we view Adam's curse? So there is the practical view of viewing Adam's curse as just the worst thing that ever happened to us. And there's another view, which is that Adam's curse is the best thing that ever happened to us. Because if the purpose of life is to find your purpose and to become everything that you're capable of becoming, can you imagine if you didn't have to work for a living? You wouldn't have to do anything. You can sit, there would be no motivation to essentially push you to figure out who you're supposed to become. The fact that you have the struggle of saying, how am I going to make a living? How am, I going to, how am I going to give value to the world? How am I going to figure out what I can do? It makes you ask the question, who am I? What can I do? What can I become? What value can I give to the world? Am I intellectual and philosophical? Am I emotionally intelligent? Do people open up to me? Am I physically oriented? Do I work well mathematically? Do I work well with people? Do I work well with things? Do I work well with ideas? Am I ambitious? Am I a go-getter? Am I an entrepreneur? You want to figure out which aspects of Torah you connect with, which, which aspects of life you connect with. Literally, to figure out what is inside of you. 
It's like a seed manifests and becomes a tree. A zygote manifests and becomes a fully grown body. Your job is to figure out what you are and express it. So Adam's curse actually becomes the impetus to figuring out who you are. And if you didn't have to make a living, most people would not figure out who they were. That's not to say that everyone does figure it out, but that's how you figure it out. And if you want to think of it, that it's like that paradigm is life changes. It's the same thing with Chava's curse. Like Chava's curse is the difficulty of pregnancy and childbirth. That's the ultimate paradigm for seeing how the most painful and seemingly horrible things in life are the best things in life and the most meaningful and are actually creating the most meaningful expressions of self. It's like when I asked my wife, like, how do you go through the pain of childbirth? It must have been the worst thing ever. She said, that was the most meaningful pain of my, of my life, creating our child. But that paradigm, like, now we realize we have to earn our growth and purpose in life, that from the pain and effort comes the meaning. So it's not a curse which is bad. It's a curse which enables. It's something that looks like it's literally the paradigm of evil and negativity when it's the biggest gift. Same thing with Adam curse. And the same thing the Ramban explains, that before Adam was essentially entering into the post eight Hadas world, he was immortal. I'm not going to get into all the details, but he never would have died. Mortality is the world we live in, and death seems to be the worst thing imaginable. I mean, by definition, if we value life as the highest entity, Hashem created us for life, is eternal life, death seems to be the worst thing imaginable. Can you imagine what life would be like without death? Can you imagine how few people would take anything seriously? And do it tomorrow. There's the, the value of something is based on scarcity. The reason why gold is so valuable is because there's not a lot of it. We can get to the other reasons why gold is valuable. But by definition, that's why literally fiat currency is it's like they're just printing money. It's why it loses its value. That's why you have inflation. When something is limited, that's why diamonds, they control the supply to control the demand. When you create something that's limitless, you also limit its value. It's a, it's a paradox. So life becomes infinitely valuable because there's death. And because you're going to die, you have to take full advantage of your life. It's what wakes us up. It's what makes us say, like, there's urgency. People only do things when there's urgency. Can you imagine? Well, think of it like this. Imagine, like, you have a 16-hour day, 16, 18-hour day, and then, and then you sleep. Sleep resets. Can you imagine if there was no sleep, if you just went 24 hours and then the next 24 hours? Can you imagine if there was no such thing as a day, but a week? A week straight. Can you imagine if there's no such thing as a week, which, by the way, is an artificial counting system? It's the essence of Sirius Omer. We're building weeks. There's no celestial, like, genuine reason why there should be a week. It's a made-up concept. As in, there's no objective week. It's something that we've built into time, something Hashem creates into time, but it's not something in the physical world that's objective. Can you imagine that we had just months straight? Just a month, no weeks, no days, no hours, no sleep. Can you imagine a year? Can you imagine forever? You know how daunting that would be? The fact that there are limits that creates concrete forms of spacing and concretizing time, it, it, it literally enables us to maximize our time. So now let's take it to the next step. And this is, this is deep stuff, guys. This is deep, deep stuff. But let's take it to the next step. It's so posh that the Torah is on us. 
It's so posh that the Torah is good. It's so posh that if you had to choose right now, what should I do with my life? Sit and learn Torah all day, every day. Learn Torah that applies to you. We're not going to get into men versus women right now. It's a very deep topic. But living a Torah life, Torah, mitzvah, avodah, mitzvah, chasadim, posh Why should there be permission to make a living? Okay, it's a curse. But that means it's bad. All right, so now the question is like this. Is money good or is money bad? Are you better than a businessman if you sit and learn Torah all day? It's a valid question. So we can think about how much Torah, what's your purpose? Who are you? What does it mean to learn Torah? The quality of your Torah, what are you supposed to be doing? Just learning, teaching, impacting, inspiring. Like these are important questions, but let's just start with a very simple question. Is money bad? Well, how does money fit into this equation of actualizing your potential? And, and the most fundamental way to build this sugya, this is a five-hour share. Right? We can give a share delve into Choshen Mishpat, I can show you Kinyanim and Habba and Mashiach and, and, and literally like the, the complexity of Kinyanim and ownership and Kinyan Karka and how, like if I'm losing some people that's okay we're not going to talk about this don't worry. Nazikin, how Nazikin works, why theoretically there's a like there's why marriage is a Kinyan like these are these are fascinating things like how how does ownership work? Because to understand money, you need to understand the halachic framework of how money works. And if I lost people just with all those terminologies, don't worry about it. We're not going to go into that right now. Let's bring it back. Why do you own what you own? Just think literally for five seconds, because I know it sounds like a dumb question. Why can't someone take the shirt off your back? It's an unanswerable question in secular philosophy. Why do you own what you own? Now you're going to say, because I paid for it. Who cares? Why does that make you own it? As in, how does ownership work? Why do you own what you own? In, in Jewish philosophy, in Machshavah, it's also a very difficult topic. That's why Chosh Mishpah is such a complicated aspect of Torah, aspect of Shas. But why do you own what you own? So in the non-Jewish world, there's a big debate on how this works. So if we were to talk about how does ownership work, why do you own what you own? The most basic starting point is the concept of control. You own what you own because you control it, because people can't take it from you because it's in your house, you're wearing it, and you essentially have a right to it because you own it, because you can control it. But what if someone's stronger than you and they can take it from you? So it's essentially a, a very simple expression of survival of the fittest, where the strongest essentially will maintain control. And if someone comes into your house and they're stronger than you to take your things, they take your money, they take your belongings, they own what you own. Because ownership is just relative. It's based on a practical ability is rishos. It's the fact that it's in your vicinity that you're controlling. If you lose control, you lose ownership. But in the world as a whole, that's a very awful way of living life because you end up having chaos. It's, bar it's barbaric. Everyone's going to be scared of going to sleep at night because someone's going to come into their house and steal it. So in secular thought, there's, you know, Hobbes and Locke talk about the idea of a, a social contract, which is basically saying we're going to give up our rights. We're going to create a system of law and order so that we have civility and we have a civilization that, a civilization that works. So Western society is built off of an agreement that essentially you own what you own, I own what I own. We have this made up system called money. If I give you money, it's yours. If you give me money, it's fine. We basically start playing this game called currency, called ownership. And if someone steals, they go to jail, not because they're a bad person. It's not wrong, technically, 
if you go back to the original form of genuine ownership in Western thought, if someone steals, they're actually the true owner. But we don't want a world like that. So we create a system where if someone steals, they go to jail because we want to have security and safety. We want to have law and order. We want to have safety. So what ends up happening is that you have a practical made up form of ownership. What's the problem with that? And this is Nietzsche's basic critique of Western thought. If someone says, I don't care about the game, as in I want to take what you have because I want it. I'm going to use my control to control this object and take it from you. They're not a bad person. They're not evil. They didn't do anything wrong. They just got caught. Now, if they didn't get caught, good for them. But if they did get caught, they go to jail. But it's not like you actually own it and I can't take it from you. It's just a practical sense of ownership. So in Western thought, you have this like under the surface debate on whether there's no ownership or a practical agreed upon ownership. In Torah, ownership is real, right? You actually own what you own because there, there's a hierarchy of self. There's you, as in you are a self and a shama, the house that you're building your internal world. You have a body, a body is part of you, but it's not actually you, it's in the hierarchy of self. Your body isn't like, if we go self, intellect, emotions, body, your body is that rung on the ladder, but then you express yourself into the world. There's your clothing, there's your things, right? When man and wife come together and have children, that child's an expression of themselves, of their shared self, pruvu, expressing themselves into multiplicity. So what ends up happening is that you have a hierarchy of self and your things are actually a part of you or they're actually yours. And this gets into this, opens up literally all of Shas and Choshen Mishpah. Learn about the Kama, learn about Mansiya with this framework and you start to understand how money works in Halacha. Because it's not just this made-up system of why you have to do a this and the chalipin and halba and mashiach. It's like we're trying to create a metaphysical transition where something fundamentally halachically, spiritually, metaphysically was connected to one person. We have to rip that connection between them and the object and connect it to someone else because ownership is not just practical. It's not just an agreement. It's metaphysical. It's real. Why? Why is ownership real? And this is the most life-changing, simple principle. I'll give you one of, the, my, one of my favorite analogies. If you had $86,400 in your bank account, and this is a magical bank account where every single day, this bank account disappeared at the end of the day and reappeared the next day. And there was a very strange rule where whatever you spent the first day, you got to keep, but whatever you didn't spend disappears, and then you get to start over all, all again the next day. So $86,400 a day, whatever you spent to keep, whatever you didn't spend, you lose. Who would spend $86,400 every single day? Obvious, punch it, why? Why wouldn't you? It's literally like you're gonna lose it. You can't invest it, you can't share it, you can't give it to someone else. Well, you get 86,400 seconds every single day. And what you do with that time, your time is infinite potential. Every single day you start out, you can go anywhere, do anything, learn anything, become anything, give anything, contribute anything. Your time is crystallized potential that is waiting for you to choose how to invest it. Whatever you invest becomes you forever. So the ideas you learn become ingrained in you forever. The actions you develop, those are your mitzvahs, your actions that are yours forever. The character you develop, the midos you develop, the money you earn, Anything you do with your time becomes a crystallized, actualized, potent, physical concretization of your infinite potential. 
you know, if you learn Torah, that's your Torah. If you make money, that's your money, but it's still you. And this is where we get into the essence of Yisachar and Zvulun. Yisachar and Zvulun, Torah, and making money. Now, Chazal talk about how they're designed to be a partnership, where if let's say you have two people, one sat and learned, the other supported that learning, they get an equal share in Olam Haba. And it's the same thing, by the way, for a spousal relationship where a husband and wife, same concept of supporting someone's learning. Why do they get equal share in Olam Haba? Because there was a singular result that was caused by two different actions. The only reason that Torah was brought into the world is because one person learned it, the other person enabled it. Iker tafel, but they both created the same result. And because of that, they share an equal share in Haba. Now, here's where it gets interesting. First of all, other exceptions? Like, we'll, we'll talk about exceptions, but is it the same thing to support Torah and to learn Torah? No. It's like if someone bought the chocolate bar and someone ate the chocolate bar, and they both get credit for eating the chocolate bar, who ate the chocolate bar? Who enjoyed it? Torah is MS, like the truth. It's the inner consciousness, the inner wisdom of life. It's the Ratzon Hashem. Everyone should be dying to learn Torah, to live Torah, to express Torah, to teach Torah, to inspire others, to raise a family of Avdei Hashem, of, of Torah life. But practically, your, your skill set can still be a zvun. You can still be a, a business guru. You can be a great entrepreneur. You can be a great professional. You can be a doctor, a lawyer. You can be a plumber. It doesn't matter. As long as your essence is Torah, as long as all you want to do is learn Torah. And whenever you're not busy, you're drawn to it, like magnetically pulled, because that's your life. So the ikr is to build the ideal Yisachar Zavun relationship in yourself, no matter what. And here's where it gets interesting. So it's Pasha that someone who works should also be learning. Pasha. Learn as much as you can. You can talk about different models of how to do it. But what if you are a learner? What if you're a Talmud Chacham? So we need to talk about a couple of things. First of all, there are Talmud Chacham who are Baruch Hashem set up. Set up. It's very rare. Again, we talked about the original problem, which is a lot of people, they struggle financially. Because they struggle financially, they either are mashubud and their Torah is controlled by someone else who supports it, or they just don't have the ability to qualitatively learn the way they want to because they're worried about practical things. So you want to understand a couple of things. I want to talk about money because then we're going to hopefully open up to the very interesting and very deep discussion, which I hope we can really have. Because this is a powerful topic. I haven't talked about this openly for the past decade. I've been building a lot of things on my personal side. But th this is a powerful, powerful topic. And the question really becomes like this. How do you make money? Like, what is money? So we talked about crystallized potential, but the way that you make money, the nature of making money, is if you become great at anything, anything, you make a great living. And here's why. If you can provide amazing value to people, people will pay you for the value that you offer. It's how life works. Essentially, the way that you make money is you provide value. Now, if you're not an entrepreneur, you don't think of it like that. You think of it, you put in your time, you do a job, you get a paycheck. But the way that that really works is that the better you get at anything, the more value you can give to the world, your company, you can freelance, you can do whatever you want. But the idea is that your greatness is expressed in the world as value and your value gives something to other people that people can pay you for. Now, the reason why people who love Torah don't usually make a good living is because they either don't value making money, they don't know 
how to concretize the infinite value that they've developed within themselves, to give that to the world in a packaged way that people can pay them for the value that they have. And again, there's a difference between someone who learns in Kolo, someone who's in the Chinuch, and someone who's literally, like if you're a Rav of a community, you have no idea the type of value that you've developed and the value that you're given. And we can talk about the complicated nature of that because if a Rav is getting paid $250,000 a year because he's the biggest Rav in, in the country, you know how much you get paid for the work that you're doing? If you're a CEO of a company doing the responsibilities that you're doing, pay millions of dollars. But we need to talk about how this works, how the translation of potential becomes money, because a lot of people in the Torah, Kola, Chinuch world, they feel embarrassed to make money. They feel like they're not supposed to make money. They feel like it's a busha, that they, their time is valueless, but on purpose. Like if they value their time and monetize their time, it would be a desecration of their godless. And also people would look at them weird because like no one's doing that. So you don't have permission. So your time is worthless. You give away your time for free. You're not allowed to make money, especially if you're helping people. Do that for free. Shmuel, I want to jump in. There's a lot. There's a lot to cover. Can we jump in? Can I cut you off? Yes, I just want to. I just want to do this last piece, and because it's going to kind of finish it, and then we'll go straight into the questions. The last piece is like this. Last piece, because this is going to frame a lot of the questions, is how to view money. So. It's essentially, and we're gonna we're gonna have to really evidence it because this is the, the this is a difficult question. The Maral talks about money like this. Money is pure potential, pure potential. It's not good. It's not bad. The good of money is that money is anything you want it to be. So essentially, money gives you full control of your time, full control of your life, full control of your impact, full control of everything you want to do with your life. If you have money, you can become anything, do anything. The world is literally yours. The problem with money, number one, is that there's a lot of bills of in the money world. And the reason why is because people spend too much time making money. So you don't know how to control it, it controls you. The reason it controls you is because a lot of people get their self-worth from their bank account. If you are an Ebed Hashem, if you're Tamil Chacham, your self-worth is based on your Selmalakim, you're actualizing your potential, and it could be a, a, a corrupted version of that. There are people who their self-worth is how many dafim they learn, right? How many times they've gone through shops? It's all ego, it's all covered, it's all like, how, how do I rank in the Kolo? How do I rank in the Yeshiva? Am I the biggest Tamil Chacham in my school? That, that's a corruption of the truth. But still, it's, 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 it's a different type of Yitzhar, let's say that. But the reason why people identify by their bank account is because they can. It is so hard to quantify spiritual growth. How do you know how wise you are? How do you know how patient you are? How do you know how developed you are? How do you know if you're growing spiritually in your connection with Hashem? How do you know if your davening is improving? It's almost impossible to quantify the unquantifiable, to concretize the infinite, to give finite value to that which is infinite. But you can see your bank account. It's the same thing with weight. You can see how much you weigh. You can see your muscle mass when you go to the gym. So people identify by their body because it's physical, not their emotional, intellectual, spiritual growth. People identify by their bank account because they can see their bank account. They don't know their spiritual bank account. They don't know how, how, how they're ranking and building the connection to HaKadosh Baruch and building to their ultimate selves. So what ends up happening is that people become obsessed with their business, with the money, with their bank account. And it becomes the end of itself where they just want more money. Becomes, they just want power for power's sake, money for money's sake, potential for potential's sake. The way that you use money 
is you have a clear vision and goal for your life. This is who I want to become. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to contribute. This is the life I want to live. You figure out how much money you need to make in order to actualize your true potential. And then you make enough money to achieve that goal with your life. And that means that you have to build a hierarchy of values. The absolute value is truth. The absolute truth is you need to actualize your potential. The way that you're going to actualize your potential is if you have enough money to do that. The way you have enough money to do that is if you become who you're supposed to become. The way you become who you're supposed to become is if you try to figure out who you're supposed to become. The way you do that is you go on the journey. And the last thing I'll say before we go into question and answer, just because this is literally, this is the problem. This is why I don't, I don't share this in public. And this is why I haven't shared this in public for the past decade. It's like, what's the point? What's the point if I say this? Like, it's an aha moment. It's, it's beautiful. It's inspiring. That's great. Like, how does this help you? And the reason why this helps you is because this is what school is supposed to be. Like, this is what life is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be like a nice inspirational share where then you go back to your life. That's supposed to be life. Isn't this is supposed to be the system that enables everyone to do this. And I've been around the block. I have been around the block. I've been to a lot of schools, a lot of very good schools. My clients, the CEOs, business owners, entrepreneurs, leaders, educators that I coach and I consult, they've been to every school and system you can think of from the right to the left, everything in between. The system is broken. The reason why it's broken is because school is supposed to be a system that helps you self-actualize, become everything you're capable of becoming, become self-aware, understand who you are, what you're supposed to become, fall in love with Torah, fall in love with life and ideas and growth and Hashem, clarify what you want your life to be about, have a vision for your life, a clear vision, as in the trajectory of school should be that, and that's not what school is. Now let's talk about just literally 60 seconds. The secular education system is not designed to help you self-actualize. Not once, and I've gone through the entire secular education system, not once did they ever say, who do you wanna be with your life? What's your vision? Justify your existence. Tell me who you, who you are. That's not what school is. School is, was designed originally, historically, to create good factory workers, which means people who can sit and be obedient and listen to orders and get things done. So what school does is it basically categorizes people into people who can memorize, spit back, and essentially be robots, and those who can't. And those who can memorize and spit back information are the A students. They're the Eloise, the greats, people who are creative, people who are ambitious, people who are self-aware, people who want to actually figure out who they are. Like, those people don't do very well in school often, and they're told that they're a failure. And what often happens is that most of them might actually fail. Few of them will actually go off and achieve something incredible, they'll end up becoming the employers of the, their, of the A students who were the, the, the success stories. And it, it's a system that makes no sense. But the problem, the real problem, we can talk about the secular education system as well. The real problem is that a lot of the Torah systems emulated and copied that system thinking that that was a good education system. So Torah becomes a subject. The goal is to memorize Torah, spit it back, and essentially become a robotic Torah machine as opposed to someone who wants to become Torah, think about Torah, live Torah, love Torah. So school wipes out the love of learning from people. It turns it into a memorization game. And people who want to fall, it's like you know, Mark Twain's famous quote is, don't let your schooling get in the way of your education. The only purpose of life is to figure out what your purpose in life is. And the education system should be here to help us. Now, we're not here to fix the education system, but you want to understand 
what's going on? As in, why are people struggling? Because from the ground up, these should be the most important questions. Who are you? Who do you want to be? How can you build a system that works? How can you build a life that works? How can you take advantage of this? Shmuel, Shmuel, we got to get to the questions. We got to okay. get to them. I'm sorry. I'm cutting I you off. I was about to finish. That was literally like, we'll I get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> okay, let's go. Here we go. We'll start the polls and we'll jump into the questions. Okay, here we go. Everybody sees it? Three simple questions. When you were growing up, how were you taught to think about money? It's four options. Do you think money was bad? Money was good? Money can sometimes be good, but it's usually bad. Or money is merely potential. Like it's a, it's a way to get to where you want to get. Second question. In your opinion, people who want to spend their lives in Torah, Chinuch, or Klai Kodesh, right? Teachers, these type of things. What do you think? A, they struggle financially. B, have basic financial stability. Or C, have more money than needed. Third one is a wild one. Um, third question. If someone is in Chinuch, or Klai Kaidish teacher, and is struggling financially, then it won't hurt their learning, teaching, or personal life. B, it will hurt their learning, teaching, or personal life, like they'll suffer from it. Or C, could potentially affect their learning, teaching, or personal life, but it's their responsibility to overcome, and read the rest of it for some reason, to overcome it, I guess. Overcome okay. that struggle and push through. Overcome that struggle and push through, okay. Okay, let everybody answer. Can you see people answering? Yeah? Yep. Let's do it five more seconds. Very basic questions. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, here we go. Menachem. Can you read yeah. it? Can you see the results? Yeah. Yeah, can you read it? Because I can't see it for some reason. Okay. So question number one was, when you were growing up, how were you taught to think about money? So we have 5%. Money is bad. 39% money is good. 11% money can sometimes be good, but it's usually bad. And 45% money is merely potential. Well, you want to say something on that, Paul? So these numbers are fascinating. You know, a lot of people, they don't really know how they perceive money until they really think about it. And it comes with a lot of perceptions. So based on how they spend money, how they use money, whether they want to make money, whether they feel guilty about making money. And a lot of people who, like a lot of people who I deal with who, are essentially spending their time in Torah and then want to figure out how to become financially independent, they feel very guilty. And a lot of it just comes from unconscious perceptions of money. So again, money is neither good nor bad. And it's also neither leaning towards one or the other. It depends on you, as and that's where self-awareness comes in. So a lot of people, they don't know their own capacity or their own struggles, and they don't realize they're being consumed by money, or they don't realize that they think money is horrible, but they don't even know that they know that. So this is really a self-awareness question. And it's, I think these polls are fascinating because I would think at least more people, at least for my encounters, more people don't know how to convince themselves that money could be good, or at least that they can harness the potential, which is again, the question. It's like we ate matzah, 
when we were slaves in Mitzrayim, we also ate matzah once we came out of Mitzrayim. So everyone asks the same question, why both? Is it, you know, halach mania, bread of slavery, or is it, you know, bread of chayrus? And the answer is that when we were in Mitzrayim, we had to eat matzah. When we left Mitzrayim, we chose to eat matzah. So learning how to control how you use things and not being controlled by them is the essence of life. And everyone has aspects of their life that they're addicted to, that they have lost control over, and we're not going to now go into the range because everyone knows their own addiction, what they do when they're essentially alone in the room by themselves, whether it's watching TV, eating food, doing drugs, wasting time, talking about nothing. Everyone has their addictions. And that's, again, like what controls you versus how you control. So the fact that a lot of people here really do believe money is potential is powerful. I think that's you know pleasantly surprising. Okay, we'll go to number two. In your opinion, people who once spent their lives in Torah, Kodesh, 74% answered struggle financially, 25% answered have basic financial stability, and 1% have more money than they need. I want to see that person. So Shmuel, no, they struggle financially? In your opinion. <laughs> One more time. Do people struggle financially when they're in Klai Kodesh, when they're teachers and stuff like that? The overwhelming majority do. But again, we need to define these things. Struggle financially is a vague term, but just in terms of the perception, the perception is definitely that they, it's not easy. It's not possible. Okay. Question number three. If someone, a Finnish teacher, is struggling financially, then 7% answer, it won't hurt their learning, teaching, or personal life. 30% answer, it will hurt their learning, teaching, or personal life. 64% it can potentially affect the learning, teaching a personal life, but is their responsibility to overcome the challenge? Okay. Okay, well, should, we, should we jump into the questions? Let's do it. Okay, let's start with the first question. You ready? Mm -hmm. I'm currently learning part of the day, having a strong morning, and working in the afternoon. Half a day working, half a day learning. I think I need to invest more time and energy into my job if I want to be successful. But I feel bad about it. I think it's, it'll take away from my learning. What should a person like this do? This is like the typical question. Any guy who's like starts working after the pile, especially part-time, like how to, you know what I mean? This is the classic question. And most people who come from this framework and this mindset, the real struggle is like this. Real struggle is identity, as in how they see themselves. So most people who have come from an altar environment, kolo, yeshiva, even just learning two years in Eretz Yisrael, even if you're not thinking that you're going to devote your life to Torah, once they come back or once they transition, once they think they need to transition, they don't really view the professional part of their life as who they are. As in, they are Yeshiva Bachar, they're an Avreich, they're a Kolo, they're a Masmid, they're, they're someone who's a Torah essence, who's being pulled out of his identity to do essentially what would be a waste of time, other than the fact that he needs to make a living. So what ends up happening is that there's a real struggle, and you don't like your job. And the reason you don't like your job is because you view it as a waste of your time. And, and I've asked most of them with a second would say, if I won the lottery, if I had money in the bank account, I quit my job on the side. All right, it's possible. I don't want to be doing this. So the question is, is that MS? Like, how should someone view if they really want to be learning Torah and they're being pulled from that? So 
you want to again now build the spectrum, which is what are the options? So a lot of the reasons why they've started to leave and enter the workforce is because they have to support a family or because they have to support their learner, right? So they want to learn. If they didn't make a living, they wouldn't be able to learn. So in your mindset, you have to essentially say, what is money? So money is translated as whatever it is that you use it for. So if the money you're making and the work that you're doing is supporting your Torah, is supporting your family, is supporting your Avotas Hashem, in terms of the Iker Tafa relationship, one of the basics of learning Shas in the Iker Tafa relationship, which comes into like hundreds of sugyas, is how to deal with the relationship between Iker and Tafa, primary and secondary, important, and that which is of secondary importance. So the classic approach is kind of bitl, that like Iker is the main thing and Tafel is kind of secondary, it's not important. If you learn the sugyas, you'll see that a lot of Risham talk about Tafel as becoming part of the Iker. When the Tafel enables the Iker, it becomes part of the Iker. That's how you uplift the Chol. The fact that your body is enabling your Neshama to live a life of Tarmitzos is the fact that your body is now Kaddish. So the fact that your job is enabling you to learn Torah means that your job translates into Torah. As in, it is Torah. It's supporting Torah, but it actually becomes part of your Torah learning because that's the only way you're going to be able to learn Torah which then enables you to actually enjoy it or at least not have a negative perception of it and not to feel this kind of double life or this friction inside of you where you have like this double personality of this is who I am and this is the part of my life where I just feel like I'm not me. There's the third layer. The third layer basically gets into breaking down the different models of how to make a living. Right, so you really wanna think this through. You wanna think, You, you want to think of it like this. There are different ways to bring value to the world. So the ideal job, if I were to ask you, what is the ideal job? I'm not talking about someone who's born with money. I'm not talking about just like if you're going to try to build a life for yourself, what would the ideal life look like? So you'd want to be devoting your life to the MS. And if you have to make a living to support that, you want to be doing something that you love, something that you're good at. A lot of people, they love doing things, they're not good at it. Now, if you love it, you can immerse yourself in it and get good at it. And anything that you're obsessed with, anything you're inclined to devote your energy towards, you can get great at. So you want to love it, you want to be good at it. You also want to figure out how to do something that you can make a living doing. And you also want to do something meaningful where you feel like you're bringing value to people, you're doing what you should be doing. It's something that you think you were born to do. Now, a lot of people, they don't have all the pieces. So there are people who learn all day and struggle financially because they're doing a job which has nothing to do with their skill set. They're just literally just making a living. Like their job is just whatever job they can find. They, they ask the guy, someone connected them with something, they got a job. Then there are people who they're making a living doing something they're very good at because that gives them financial stability. So they're great at being an accountant. They don't like it. They're great at being a lawyer. They don't enjoy it, right? It's just, it's just financial stability. They're doing something they're good at, something they developed the skill and the credentials for. Then there are people who, they kind of build a life around that, which makes sense. Like they know that they're really good at something and they can monetize that skill set and they can support what they want to be doing, like learning Torah, like their family, supporting the community, especially if you become really good at something and you make a lot of money, you can devote your life to supporting Torah, to supporting yeshiva, supporting the community. But the best is to figure out how to blend it, where you're actually making a living doing what you love. 
And that's even if it's to support your learning, right? Even if you're learning five hours a day, 10 hours a day, whatever it is, you want to figure out what you can, if you can find a way to get paid for what you love, you'll never work a day in your life because you want to find something that you can do that you would want to do it even if you weren't getting paid for it. It becomes a game that way. It becomes something you're drawn to, something you love, something you want to master. Now, it's not going to be perfect, but for example, let's build a spectrum now. Singing, right? The arts, the creative things. There's a reason why many people don't make a living doing that. You have to be extraordinary because everyone wants to make a living doing what they love, right? So it's like chinuch. People go into chinuch because they love Torah. It's amazing, right? But people don't value it enough to give you the money you deserve for it, so it's going to be a struggle. And singing, it's like you only hear the few people who make it. What about the hundreds, like the countless people who don't? So again, by the way, there, there's something people will tell you. It's not such a bracha to make a living doing what you love, because very often you end up falling out of love with the thing that you love because it, you went into it because it was your passion, but then you monetized it to the point that it became like you sold out. So it's because a lot of people, you see them once they're successful, you have no idea how hard it is to make it in the creative space. If you're a creative, if you're building anything, especially if you're using your talents to make money, you're not going to make it until you make it. And the journey to making it, oh my gosh. And you can think about the people, you know, I can give you tons of examples where like, you know them now, they went on a journey. Now, a lot of people, they sell out. Like they start out like, this is what, the only thing I'm going to do is this to make money. Then they're like, okay, like I'll do this. I'll get a good gig and I'll do this. Then they end up selling out. They end up selling their soul or at least selling their love of what they did to monetize it. And they lose their love. So a lot of singers, they hate singing. As in a lot of people, they lose the passion. So one model is that you get a notch down and to figure out how to make a living doing what you like and are really good at so you can devote your life to doing what you really love. So for example, let's say you want to devote your life to teaching class, so it's inspiring, to writing, to music. So you find a way to monetize your skill, something you love, something you're good at, so that you can devote your passion and hobby, which you can get paid for as well, but not like you don't need to get paid for it, so that you end up living the life you want to live. That's the only question you want to ask. How do I build a structure where I'm living a life that makes sense, I'm doing what I want, so that money's not a problem, so I can live out my purpose and achieve what I'm supposed to live? There are many different ways to do that once that's your goal. I want to jump into another question. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, just got, I was just going to close it off, which uh, that's the best option. The best option is to figure out how to make a living doing something that you feel like you're supposed to be doing but not to sell your soul for it so that your entire life is still oriented towards an MS life of truth, Torah, avod like Nils Chasadim, where you're becoming everything you're supposed to become. Beautiful. Okay, first live question, you're on. Um, okay, you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Okay, um, a man's job is to get a job and fulfill his ksuba and the fulfillment of Adam's curse. So that's his job. How much he makes is in Hashem's hands. Mm -hmm. So why is it that certain jobs earn more and certain earn less? And why do people spend so much time overtime at their job trying to make more money if it's all up to Hashem anyway? Also, where does like Heshtada start? Where does it end? Like, for example, my husband wanted to stay in Clay Kodesh so, and make it work financially. So we moved to a very out of town location where life is much more affordable. And being in Clay Kodesh, you can and actually make it work. Um, isn't that like everyone's ishtadlas? I feel like most people who struggle financially live in places like the tri-state where people live 
on much higher standards and levels. And there's a lot of pressure to keep up with, you know, and therefore it's um, it's much harder to live financially there, even if they don't have a clay coders job. So any job will be a financial struggle. Isn't that like everyone's a shadows? So this is a great, I mean, there's a lot of really good questions. Um, we can give a whole share in each one of those questions. So the Hishtandos Bitachan question is the question. And again, the reason why I didn't touch upon it is because it's a whole, so it gets a whole share. This is the, the Tevrim. So let's give the framework. The framework is very Pashat. It's important to understand the range of the topic and how the Bali Machshava and Sefer Halacha talk about this. So let's talk about Hishtandos. What type of work should you be putting in for the life that you think you're supposed to live? So let's say you have a, a very clear trajectory, like this is where I think Hashem wants me to live. And you're, you're honest. You're like, this is who I want to become. This is what I want to do. This is how much money I need to make. So where's Hashem's fit in? So there are approaches where like Hashem's is like a tax. But if you actually learn, like you learn your Dassler, you learn people who talk about that, like learn them in depth, like actually read the Makotas. If you would actually think about how Hishtandos works, like your experience. So if you talk to someone who's learning Torah and you say, okay, I'm just going to put in a little Hishtandos. I'm going to learn one daf of Gemara and have bitachon that I'm going to know shots. So like you're, you're, you're a great Baal bitachon, you're a great Baal Muna, you're not going to know anything. And the reason why is because that's not how Hashem created the world. Hashem created the world in a very interesting system. So Hishtandos and bitachon works in two very interesting frameworks. Ramchad brings this down in a few places. One aspect is that Hishtabos actualizes potential. So, for example, Hashem created the world where the trees didn't come out from underneath the ground because Adam had to daven. So davening, the Hishtabos of brought that potential into fruition. So when you put in your effort, you essentially partner with Hashem who is ready to bring it in. You're essentially connecting the circuit. You're creating a vessel, a kli, and Hashem can give you the bracha. The Hishtalos is a required vessel, the Bitachon and the Amuna is Hashem filling it. The second component is, you know, the, the famous Maimar Chazal, the An Rosh Hashanah, your, your, your income is essentially determined. So the Ramchal and others talk about your income isn't determined, your potential income is determined. And again, it's like, think about how much you know. The amount that you know is not based on a gift from Hashem. It's based on a relationship between putting in your max Hishtablos and within the realm of Teva, actualizing your Hishtablos to the point where, yes, everything comes from Hashem and there's 100% Imun and Bitachon, but it's 100% Hishtablos. And you need to put in the type of Hishtablos that you think within the realm of Teva you need to put in in order to get what you think you need to accomplish. The results are not up to you. But the direction and the trajectory and how you assert and allocate your resources and and time is 100% up to you. And the relationship between I am fully responsible and yet the results are not up to me, I need to act as if it's up to me and yet it's not up to me. It's a brilliant equation. And you, you, if you want to humble yourself, like when you think, when you think and you come up with an amazing idea, where does that idea come from? You didn't know the idea, you thought about it and you came up with the idea. How? You never had it before. Where did the idea come from? How do you think? Like when you think inside your head, where are those thoughts coming from? Are you generating them? Do you know how you think? If you think about the way that you think, you realize you don't know how you think. You think, but you don't know where it's coming from. And in Yiddish, a thought is called an einfall. It falls in. So the, what you're doing when you're thinking is you're making space essentially to allow thoughts to come in. It's a minor, minor, minor form of Ruach HaKodesh. And, and it's the most profound thing is that 
it's, it's, a, it's a literal impossible question. We don't understand how we understand things. We don't know how we know things. We don't know how to think about how we think. But it's the same thing. It's like you allow Hashem to give you everything you need to put in the effort. What, what happens when you think is you actually allow space inside of yourself for the ideas to come in. That's nineful, which means that thinking is concentrated. It's the same thing for Hishtavlos and money. Within the realm of Teva, you need to put in the type of Hishtavlos to create the type of life that you think Hashem wants you to live, recognizing that you'll get the response mechanism from Hashem based on the efforts you put in. If your potential is to make $100,000 a year and you made $500 million a year, something's off, right? Now, here's where it gets more interesting. Just because you have the potential to make, let's make it more practical. You have the potential to make $250,000 a year. Potential. If you went all in every day, all day, used every single ounce of your energy, every resource you know, made every connection you could possibly make, and, and literally built the skill, the ambition, the, the concentration, the focus, everything. You could make $250,000. doesn't mean you're supposed to. Ah, so now it's not like there's just this number game. It's what am I supposed to be doing with my time? I know I could, could do anything. I could learn anything. What should I learn? I could think about anything. What should I think about? I could talk to anyone. Who should I talk to? That's why life is complicated. You need to make decisions. You need to direct your sources. And that's where choice comes. You essentially building your house. You're building your life. It's responsibility for saying, I am not going to just say, I put in some effort, everything comes from Hashem, because that's just not how it works. You don't accidentally become a Tamil Chacham. It's not how it works. So you don't accidentally become wealthy. Are there chances? Is there, is, is, are there times that happens? A great line, which is people talk about luck. It's like the harder you work, the luckier you get. It's a non-Jewish term. Well, well it's true in, in Torah life as well, but it doesn't mean that that's the truth. As in that will happen. That doesn't mean that's what you're supposed to do. There's a reason why a lot of people who spend their lives in business make millions and are living empty, meaningless lives have a midlife crisis. It's because they... Like a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, you know, they'll come to me and say, like, I want to make a lot of money. It's like, if you ask people why you want to make a lot of money, a lot of them will tell you, I want to make a lot of money because I want to support my family and because I want to support Torah. That's wonderful. You take 20 entrepreneurs, 20 business owners, put them in the room and say, how much time do you spend with your family? Because you've devoted your life because you want to spend time with your family. A lot of them struggle with that. Right? They put their family in the back burner because they, they want to support them and they love them, want to care about them, but they don't. They spend all their time at work. And so it's literally it doesn't make any sense, but of course it makes sense. It's like it's how they make the money and they convince themselves, this is my love for my wife. That's not what my wife wants. We have plenty of money. So you want to build a life that makes sense. You want to build a life that's working for you. You want to build a life which is based on the MS, not what you could do, but what you should do. And that really is going on the journey of trying to come up with those answers where, again, you're never gonna have the answer. It's like, what's the purpose of life? To go on the journey of discovering your purpose. There's no aha moment where you got it and you just go on autopilot for the rest of your life. You don't come up with an answer. This is how I should use my time. And you do that for the rest of your life. You have to assess and reassess, not every day, but often enough, it's a lot of people, they go on autopilot in many areas of life, a lot of leaders. They'll achieve something extraordinary when they're in their early 20s, when they're like exploring, or in their early 30s, when no one really knows who they are. And then they'll coast with their achievements because they don't have the vulnerability to keep on challenging themselves because now they're a public figure. Now if they fail, it's in public. So again, living a life of truth is the hardest thing. That's the only thing. 
And Shmuel, I want to jump on to the next question, okay? Yeah, I mean, the, also, I just like say, these questions are endless because these are- I know, I know. Questions I know. that get to the very root of everything. So every question has like 50 potent 50 hour long shirim in it. We're just touching the surface of everything. And it's important to know that. Like, okay. you should love the journey and that's- Okay, next caller, you're on, how, hi. Hi. How are you? Yep. Okay, you can hear me. Thank you so much. I have a personal question. Um, so I've done a lot of work on my mindset and my relationship with money and my relationship with myself, my truth, my alignment with Hashem's connection and purpose. Now, I feel like my I and my family have grown out from the community where we live in and we want to move to a different community to live more with purpose and more opportunities and more connection. And, but that, that costs money. Okay, so I'm curious which one comes first at this point. I feel like having first, like having the money is going to help me live that purpose. But how do I get to that money? Now, every day I live in wealth in so many areas of my life, including money. And I feel like how, and also I want to add that my husband's business is opening his new business and it's taking time. And I feel like I need to make big move money right now. And building a business takes time. And I think and I feel it within me and I believe that we are up to where life has put me in, where I am going to receive this money. Now, I wonder if I'm trying to convince myself or I'm actually believing and being taken into this place of it can be otherwise. You are going to receive this money. You just don't know how, when, where, but it's going to come to you. Like, where am I supposed to still do work, let go, or allow, or what is it that, that I, in order for me to live more on purpose and for my family to live more with that truth? I, I'm trying, are you, are you getting me? Like, are you getting 100%, my question? 100%, 100%. So this is, this is the most amazing, amazing question, and it's a powerful question. I'll just abstract it for a lot of people who are in different types of situations, just so everyone can relate. There are lots of very interesting midlife questions, which are a lot harder than if you're 20. So if, for example, let's say, we'll just abstract it to a classic question of someone is working a job and they know it's not who they are, what they're supposed to do, it's not their potential, it's not their passion, it's not their purpose, they're not making enough money and they wanna build a business. They want to start building the life they wanna live. They wanna build a life of passion and purpose. The problem is that they have children, they have a family, they have responsibilities and if they go cold turkey and leave their job, which is like not what they want to be doing with their life, but at least gives them stability. It's like, what if it fails? And if it fails, it's like, it's not just you. Like 25 year old entrepreneurs, best time to make mistakes. No responsibilities, it's only you. When you have a family, like people are depending on you. And then what ends up happening is like, play out both, play out all possible ways, right? You go for it, you make it, everything works out. Everyone's happy, it's amazing. You go for it and you fail, Okay, but you, you're not a failure and you still have time and you can essentially rebuild. Like, but imagine you don't go for it. So when it's happening, a lot of people, they think that they're not going to go for it because they love their family. But then they're depressed and they feel like their job is suffocating them. They feel like their life is suffocating them. They can't enjoy their learning. They can't enjoy what they're doing. They come home just like energyless and just literally trying as hard as they can to be happy for their family, but they hate themselves. And it's like, you're not the person you want to be for yourself or for the people you're loving, which is what's holding you back from doing the things that you want to do for yourself and your family. So it's, 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 a, very, it's a very big struggle. 
So the best thing to do is to create a type of balance system which makes the most sense. I'm not going to hyper-personalize it. We'll kind of keep a little abstract for everyone. But you want to build a system which is the best for you to achieve the goals that you have responsibly, but with certainty. And with certainty, it doesn't mean that you're going to financially succeed. But what I mean is that you're going to go down this path. Once you fully commit to something, you have no idea what you're capable of. No idea. Because no one knows what they're capable of. That's what life is. But it's if you would know what percentage you actually are in terms of pushing full throttle on what you're capable of doing, everyone will be surprised. Everyone. Because growth is exponential. So I'm not talking about where you could be in a week from now. I'm talking about where you could be in a year from now if you use the next year. In two years from now, if you use the next two years. And remember, growth is exponential. So you're going like this. You start to literally just elevate your life. And you'll have bumps. you go down a bunch of times too. That's okay. So what you want to do like this is you want to have a very, very clear goal, a very inspiring goal. You want to know what you want to build, why you want to build it, how you're going to build it. So essentially, just build the roadmap. Very clear, inspiring destination. These are steps I want to take. Now you build an internal environment, which means that you surround yourself with the people who understand and support the vision you have for your life and your family. You control the input from people outside of you. Don't surround yourself with people who are haters and negative, people who don't believe in what you believe in, people who will judge you, people who will essentially say, don't do this, this is not you. And now the most important thing, number three, is give yourself a deadline. Give yourself a deadline where you say, by this date, I want to move out of this community. By this date, I want to be here in the process I've built. And the deadline will make it a reality because now that you've given yourself a deadline, you're going to start using your time. You're going to start valuing your time in a way that you can't if it's just a general goal. If it's a general goal, it's like, take the greatest archer who's ever lived. If you blindfold them and say, hit the target, they're not going to hit the target because they can't see it. The only way you really see the target is if you have to hit it and the only way you have to hit it is if you give yourself a deadline. So necessity brings out the best in us. So what you want to do is you want to create a life where you want what you want, you know what you want, you're on the way to do it, you have an environment that's reinforcing it, and it's not just a pipe dream. Like there's certainty because there's accountability because you, you tell it to your, your spouse and your children and the people. It's like it's, it's not just something you're holding inside dreaming about. It's literally who you are, what you're doing, what you're talking about. Everything in your life is pretty there. And this is like a much, much bigger topic and there's much more specifics. But in general, everyone goes through the thought of like, what would my life be like if I actually did the things I want to do? And most of the reasons why they don't do it is because they either don't think it's possible, they don't think they're worthy, they don't have the right people in their life who would support it, they need the external support, they don't have it, or it's just something that's internalized and they haven't brought the external accountability necessary to make it a reality. As in, it's just in your head, and if it's in your head, it's not real. It's like there's a reason why so many mitzvahs, you have to verbalize it. Because thoughts are just potential. It's more potential than like that kind of feeling that's not a thought, but it's not yet a reality. And the most potent form is not just speaking into reality, but doing it. But once you start speaking it, you start doing it. So that's hopefully a roadmap. Again, create the very clear goal, create the environment to support it, and create a very clear deadline, not too far away, but not too close, so that you can responsibly, responsibly transit into the life you know you're supposed to live. I think, I think the same concept is for people who are sitting and learning for many years after, after Pasana. And 
then they, they're forced to go to work. So they have kids and they have responsibilities and where do they do now? It's like that transition can be very hard. Mm-hmm. And I think the same ideas they can take what you just mentioned. 100%, 100%. And a lot of it comes by giving yourself the deadline and that transition period because that's where they can build the more developed identity. And this is also very powerful. And this comes with a lot of confidence. If you truly believe in what you're about to do, like a lot of people, they're jealous. They wish they can still be learning. So they look at people who are still learning and they're like, ah, oh, I'm, like, you know, I'm, I'm such a, I'm going down the path. I have to make a living. But if you figure out how to uplift what you're doing to the extent that you truly feel like you're actualizing your potential in, in a unique way, where like you're becoming who you're supposed to become, and you've built an integrated identity, which includes the Kolo learner, the Avreich, the Masmid, someone who's learning, and then builds upon it. So that was not the best years of your life, and now you're just a Nabuch who's learning. It's like, I'll give you an example, the Rambam. So the, the next Sefer I'm writing is the Gemara Ian Sefer on, on Sugis of, of Pikuach Nefesh, Life and Death. Right? So the Rambam says that if you're learning full-time, then you can delay the mitzvah of Peruvu. You can delay the mitzvah of marriage and Peruvu. Connects those two, right? Because basically it's a, it's a three-part story. You build a foundation on learning. You get married to build a unified identity that's built off of that foundation in Avodah Hashem and Torah, where you can build a real marriage based on truth and MS, building a bite in MMB Israel, where you're coming together to live a mission-oriented life. That's why you get married in front of a kilo. You're contributing your life intimately as a private couple, but then as a couple, you're devoting your life to Klai Israel. Puravu is the expression of that marriage, where according to the Rambam and Rashi, the Mitzvah Puravu is not just to physically have children, but the raise them as B'nai Torah, as Avdei Hashem, as Yirah Hashem, where you're essentially helping them actualize their potential. But the Rambam says that if you're learning full-time, you can delay those mitzvahs because there's no, you're not going to be able to go back and learn Torah in the same way after you get married because then you're going to have to get, you have to get a job. You have to pay the bills. So you can delay the mitzvah proof. It's mitzvah but you can do that to learn more Torah. So if you learn the, the Nosekim, it's like, why? Like, why, why should you be able to do that? So is it just because you're never going to be able to go back? But what is that? So it's, it's, it's depressing. It's like the best years of your life are behind you. It's like enjoying while you can, but once you get married, ugh, it's it's not too long since until you have to go pay the bills. We're not gonna, you know, we can talk about the Ram of June on this, but it's a fascinating perspective. But the deeper approach is like this: it's not that you'll never go back to the heyday, the amazing time where you're learning without that. It's that there are levels of life, there are stages of life, and there's building. So it's not like you have years of Olam Hab where you're learning, then you have responsibilities. It's that you want to build as strong of a foundation as humanly possible. Because if you want to build a skyscraper with your life, like think about that. If you build a skyscraper, if you want to build a house, a hut, you can build a Nabuch foundation, right? a very, very weak foundation. You want to build a skyscraper, you need the strongest foundation imaginable. If you're going to do something with your life, which means I'm, just, I'm not just going to sit and learn, then get married, and then just learn as much as I can. I want to become all that I can become. I want to become Torah. I want to share Torah. I want to inspire. I want to write. I want to educate. I want to become everything I was born to become. I have no idea what that is yet. So you need a strong foundation. You need the strongest foundation imaginable if you're going to build a skyscraper with your life. So yeah, take some more time to build that foundation. But it's not that that's the best days and then everything that's essentially you have nothing to look forward to because the best is behind you. The moment you think your best days are behind you, you're old. When you believe the best is yet to come, that's the excitement of life. Like that's the excitement. Here's a question that somebody is uh, struggling with is this idea. That's a little bit 
the way. I'm currently running a business, but I feel that most of my colleagues are ahead of me because they don't spend time learning in the morning or at night. I can't help but think about what I would be able to achieve if I spent more time working on my business. Is that simply my Itzahara speaking? Ah, so this is this is a classic. And this is this is such a good question because it's not a it's not a yes or no answer, and there's no one answer because it really depends on who you are. And I've had I've had clients who have literally asked me this question time and time again because this is their biggest struggle. And you want to think of it like this. There's three models in life. There are people who only learn Torah. There are people who only make money. And there are people who do both. Now, again, within people who do both, there are people who make money and learn Torah. And there are people who learn Torah, then they make a lot of money. And then there are people who try to live a truly idealistic life where they try to maximize their potential as much as possible by really going on the path into the unknown, a lechacha journey, where they just say, who does Hashem want me to become? Why was I able to build this business? Why did this happen? What skills did Hashem give me? How can I use this to become everything I'm capable of becoming, devote the resources and the connections I have to helping clients, building up yeshivas, building up schools, building up our communities, building up our organizations. What leadership abilities do I already have? How can I develop my leadership abilities? What unique position has Hashem put me in to become all that I'm capable of becoming? And maybe my uniqueness is that I'm neither a Yusuf or a Zvulin, and I'm not someone who does a little bit of both, but I'm a uniquely synergized, synthesized version who's able to really play in both fields. And when I say play, I'm talking about in the highest sense, like the Midrash of the Kajbar who plays with Torah. Like you play with something that's an end in itself, something that's innately valuable. And if you enjoy what you do, there's a reason you enjoy it. That's telling. Now, if you enjoy what you do, but you're wasting your time and not being productive, that's a different story. But if you enjoy something, there's a reason you enjoy it. There's a, like, think of it like this. If you have a, a very big problem with something in life, there's something you really want to solve, like you have a certain problem you care about, you ever think that there's a reason you care so much about that problem and so many people don't? It's not because you shouldn't care about that problem. It's because maybe that's a problem Hashem gave to you to solve. It's the same thing for your business. You know how hard it is to build a business? You know how hard it is to learn Torah? You know how hard it is to do both? There are people who just do one. It's easy to live a fragmented life where you just focus on one value, that's it, everything else is a waste of time. It's very hard to synthesize and synergize values to build a nuanced life. You also build something incredible. Think about Uber. Right? Uber is just taking taxis and synthesizing it with technology and the social component. That's what creativity is, is interconnecting different pieces together. That's where you build something amazing. It's one thing to be a doctor. It's another thing to work in technology, biotech, that's extraordinary. It's one thing to learn halacha. It's another thing to learn gemara, to, to learn halacha be'in, to learn gemara be'in and see how it applies, to learn machshava and gemara, to understand how to develop your medios while working with halacha, while working with machshava, while developing gemara be'in. Like, it's not easy. But usually if it's difficult, that has something to do with the fact that number one, maybe it's true. And number two, Maybe, again, you want to balance, well, like, why am I not doing it just because it's difficult? Am I do not doing it because I don't believe in it, or it's because it's, it's just hard? And if it's hard, you have to figure out how to way, a way to give as much meaning to it so that it becomes as enjoyable as possible. It's like going to the gym. Like, a lot of people don't exercise. Why? Now, if I would tell you that if you get in good shape, I exercise every single day. And when I speak on stage, I need energy. When I 
coach, when I consult, when I learn, when I write Sfarim, when I give Shreem, you know how much energy it takes to do this? So you need energy. Now, if I actually, you know how many people I see who are just literally, they have no energy. They're exhausted. They're tired. Think about the quality of learning when you're tired. Think about your relationships when you're tired. Think about how much money you can make, how you can sell and pitch when you're tired. Your entire life is here. Energy is potential. Money is potential. Time is potential. You need it. You need time. You need energy. How are you going to essentially use your time? So when you're in both, that, that's the biggest challenge, but it's also the biggest opportunity. So someone who has that challenge, I'd say realize the challenge is the opportunity and you can actually be something more unique than you can possibly believe. I think we all have that challenge. And I think the question is, like you mentioned, it's very hard. And the question is really, where does one start? What mindsets, what ideas, who should they speak to? What are they missing? What, where does someone start to live the way what you're putting down the idea to have both, to live your full potential? That's a very good question. So the real key is like this. You want to immerse yourself in the pursuit of figuring out how to become all that you can become. And once you know what you want to do, you build the life around it. So within Torah, like how do you become a Talmud Chacham? You get an amazing rebellion. You learn incredible svarim. You immerse yourself in Torah. When it comes to finding a way to live your life in the world, if you're going to make a living, it's like you have to see what you connect with. You have to expose yourself to different areas and different fields. You have to go on the journey without hoping that you'll find the answer right away, but that the journey itself will reveal the answers as you go. And doing it with a lot of people, the success stories are like, oh, it's, it's like, you know, I wasn't even looking for it to happen. But the greatest successors are people who actually pursued it, who actually looked for it. Like they, they actually wanted to find the answers and they, and they went on it. It's like, success doesn't happen by accident. So and somebody's sitting and learning, you should start looking. You should go out and look for it. If you're ready to transition to say, okay, what's my topic in life? Am I going to teach? Am I going to write? Am I going to be a rev of a community? Am I going to learn on the side and then support it by getting a living? If I'm going to make a living, what living am I going to make? If I'm going to go into business, who do I know? What value do I bring to the table? Am I creative? Am I practical? Do I get things done? Am I organized? Am I going to come up with a business idea and find the team to help build it? Am I going to find someone who has a business idea and help them implement it? Am I going to become a professional and get the skills or degrees necessary to fulfill my role in life? What am I drawn to? Like These are the questions which takes a life to answer. That's why we have a life. And like Living a life well is essentially all the time you need, and it's time enough. But you have to fall in love with the journey. If you view it as a waste of time, you just want to get the answer, you're not going to find the answer because that's not how it works, right? You want to fall in love. It's like, I'll give you an example. Like, I want to share a very, I want to share a very deep episode. So maybe we'll close off with this. Um, when do you want me to, do you want to do that now or should we answer a couple more questions? You can start, you can start if you have your sites. Go for it. So a lot of people, they, like, let, let, let's, this, this is, we've, we've, we've covered a lot uh, in the little time that we spent together and a lot of things that, you know, we're thinking over, not, not, not push it, not push it ideas. But the idea that I'm about to share, it, it, it's so deep 
it's going to take a couple minutes. So those who have the the Zisfleisch to to work through it, let's let's do it because this is this is it. Right. It's very powerful. So one of the most important questions that I get and that every Magid Shir gets at the end of any Shir, especially Shir in Halacha, is what's the answer? What's the Halacha? What, what's the answer to the question? Right? Can you do this? What does the Torah say? Is this Mutter? Is this Asr? Is this this? Is this that? What is the answer? I think it's, a, it's an easy question. It should have an easy answer. It's a machlokas. It's a machlokas. It's this. It's that. Like, there's never a question. The answer to the question is why. Why is there never a clear answer to anything? So if I were to ask you, what is, what is MS? What is the truth? So I'll give you an analogy. Let's say you have three blind men. And these three blind men are holding on to the same entity and they're arguing over what it is. And one person says, it's a snake. The other person says, no, it's the trunk of a tree. And the third person says, no, it's a horn, it's a chauffeur. They're holding on to the same thing, what is it? So that's a famous analogy. It's they're holding on to an elephant. How are they holding on to an elephant? It's pushing, right? The person who's holding on to the trunk thinks it's a snake. The person who's holding on to the, the leg of the elephant thinks it's a trunk of a tree. The person who's holding on to the tusk thinks it's a horn. Who's right? So they're all right, right? But they're all wrong. They're all pieces of the truth. How does it work? I'll give you another analogy. Kid comes to his father and says, Moishi hit me in the face. So the father goes over to Moishi and says, why did he hit my son Shimi in the face? Just because Shimi kicked me in the leg. Well, Shimi, why did he kick him in the leg? Because he called me a name. Why did you call him a name? Because he pushed me down the stairs. It's like, who's telling the truth? Neither? Both? Are they, all, both, are they telling a piece of the truth? But the truth is fascinating in the sense that it's multifaceted and it is complicated. And we live in a world, the postmodern world, where the world essentially says there is no truth because everything can be true. If you open up any text, you can interpret it in different ways, right? Especially learn any Sugyan Shas, learn any Sugyan Torah. There's so you learn the Rambam, the Ritzvah, the Tam Tosfos, you learn Rashi, you learn you know, some obscure Shonim, you see how they are do. It's complicated. There's so many different approaches. Which is the MS? Which is true? Especially if you can read, like open up any Pasuk and Torah, it has so many layers, so many different meanings. So it must be like in the postmodern world, nothing's true. If everything can be true, nothing's true. There's a powerful concept in Torah called Ilu ve'elu divri elikim Ilu These and these are both true. They're both the words of HaKadosh Baruch the words of the living God, elikim chayim. So if you open up that sugya, again, what does that mean? How can, how can there be multiple truths? So if you learn the Nasivas, you learn some of the acronym, they say, no, I mean, there's really only one truth, but you get wrong answers along the way, and the wrong answers are important to clarify the right answer, but there's only right, one right answer. Now, the Ritva brings down the famous Maimar Chazal, but no, there's, actual multiple, there's actually multiple truths. And he brings down the famous Medrash of Chazal, of Maimar Chazal, when a Karsh Baruch who had just experienced Shavuos, when a Karsh Baruch who gave Moshe the Torah, he showed him 49 ways to interpret everything to be Asr, everything to be Matar, everything to be Tameh, everything to be Tahar. As in everything is multifaceted where it could be interpreted in so many different ways. And then the Ritva leaves off with a deeper, he says there's a Dvar Sod here, which is that it's not just that there are multiple truths. It's that there's really one truth and it's been broken into multiplicity. And what does that mean? So if you take white light and you refract it through a prism, what happens? 
Right, so the white light turns into what? Turns into the rainbow, multiple colors. Which one of those colors is the white light? So it's not one of them, it's not even all of them. It's that the white light transcends the sum of its parts. When you put back all the pieces together, you can recreate that oneness. But all the pieces are what you'd call small t truths. They're pieces of the truth. And when you're learning a sugi in shots, when you're learning a sugi in life, and you learn to see things from different perspectives, you realize that's not that this is true or that's true, that they're both true. And you want to realize, first of all, that there's two important qualifications. Number one, not everything is equally true. So if you hear a sugi, it's like, this is pshat, this is a deeper pshat, this is a better pshat. Like, there's different ways of learning where not every idea has equal weight and equal value. And number two is that not everything is true. There's still a spectrum. It's not that everything is true. It's that there's a spectrum. You can say that's sheker. But that's more shaker, that's less shaker. And what ends up happening is that you realize that this world is a world where the truth, Ma'an Torah was an experience of, of literally like Anishamas were sucked back to Akash because it was an experience of Olam Haba in this world. It was an experience of the transcendent and the finite world, the experience of the spiritual and the physical world. It was the giving of the Torah. We can go into like that's the essence of, of Sphere's Omer Ma'an Torah is building towards infinity building towards that white light, that transcendence. There's a reason why Torah is called orisa, or. The root of Torah is or. It's, it's when that's given into this world, it's refracted, it's built into a physical world. There are fragments of Torah that we recreate into a oneness, into the truth. That's what learning Torah is. That's what living a life of truth is. It's trying to recreate your connection to the truth through its pieces. And in the deeper sense, the stockled rice of Baram, the entire physical world is an expression of that truth, which means that everything in this world, there's a hierarchy. There's Torah, there's science and physics and mathematics and psychology. Like learn quantum mechanics, learn the Arizam. Learn mathematics, learn the Maharal. Like learn philosophy, learn the Ramchal. It's like the world is a revelation of Torah. But you want to build a hierarchy. Not everything is the same. It's not like learning Kant and Nietzsche and Kierkegaard is the same thing as learning a, a real Sugi and Shas. But Again, it's not that that's not Torah, that it's less Torah. It's not that making a living is not Torah, that it's less Torah. But you want to understand how living a life of harmony is living a life of oneness where you put all the pieces together. And like, first of all, you want to understand how value works. Like the more valuable something is, like what's value? Value is essentially how much, how much you give weight and importance to something. What's the most valuable thing in the world? Torah, truth. Everything gets its value based on how close it is in its connection to Hashem and to truth. Torah is the Ratzon Hashem. It's the revelation of Akash Baruch Hu's will. So the reason why you have infinite value is because you're a Salam Alekin. You're You're an aspect, you're not Hashem, but you're an aspect, you're an expression. The reason why the world has value is because it's an expression of Torah. You have to understand that. The reason why you have value and potential is because you're a unique creation that's meant to be a reflection of truth. You actualize that value by becoming everything you're capable of becoming. The most unique way to live a life of MS is to collect all these pieces of truth in this world, to live a life of MS, which means in a general sense, in a unique sense, is in your unique role, but in a general sense, you want to build a foundation of interconnecting all the pieces of truth together. So there are people who specialize, like they only focus on this, only that, like only Gemara, only Halach, only Machshava, only Musr, 
only Hasidus, only Dipritor, only science, only the wisdom of this world, only making a living, only Aristotle. Like, this is what's important. You want to live a life of enemies, you have to realize the value and truth of all these pieces. It's like Gemara Be'in and Gemara Be'kiyas, quantity and quality, and Halacha, see how to live that, and Tanakh, and Musr, and Machshava, and Deeper Torah, and science, and wisdom of the world, and Yisrael, and Tefillah, and Gemil's Chassadim, and Avodah, and building relationships. And it's like types of growth, spiritual growth, intellectual growth, emotional growth, physical health, so you can live the life you're supposed to live. Then building the ideal relationships and marriage in the world, and then financial success by actualizing your potential to get enough money that you can do what you're actually here to do, to live, live a life of leadership and impact where you're actually trying to become who you're capable of becoming. And, and that's the only reason to make money, is what you're gonna do with it what you're gonna support, what you're going to essentially enable yourself to become internally or create externally. The, the Svarim, nowadays you wanna write Svarim, it's expensive to publish a safer. You wanna do anything with your life, you need to find a way to support that. You don't need to make the money, but if you do, you get to control the impact, you get to control the mission. So again, money and meaning, and think of it like this. Most people see making money and living a life of meaning and spiritual growth as two different things. They're so, so fundamentally connected. And living a life of meaning and spiritual growth is more important. But you need money in order to do that. And figuring out your system, as in there are systems that you have to create your own unique system of how to utilize what, whatever it is that Hashem created you to become so that you can extract from the system whatever you can to, to become everything that you're capable of becoming. And sometimes you have to supplement. If you're not getting everything from a specific community or a specific system, you, you basically supplement. So the, the essence of living a life of truth is trying. And that gives you so much respect for everyone else who lives a life that's a little different than yours. Because like what makes rainbow rainbows that they're different colors, what makes Kleiso Kleisos that they're different colors, and the essence of, of really, look, I'll, I'll, share, I'll share a very interesting joke. It's a joke of a, a priest who was out for a walk and he sees this distraught man who's about to throw himself off of a bridge. So he says, wait, don't do it. You know, there's so much to live for. Don't you believe in God? So the guy says, yeah, of course, uh, I do believe in God. The priest says, me too. Are you a Christian or a Jew? And he said, I'm a Christian. He says, me too. Are you a Protestant or a Catholic? He says, I'm a Protestant. He says, me too. What kind? He says, I'm a Baptist. He says, me too. Are you a Northern Baptist or a Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. He says, oh, me too. Are you a Northern Liberal Baptist or Northern Conservative Baptist? He said, I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist. And the priest said, me too. Are you a Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes region? or Northern Conservative Baptist New England region. And he said, I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. And the priest said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region, Council of 1879, or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region, Council of 1912. And he says, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region, Council of 1912. And the priest says, die heretic, push him off the bridge. Right, so you cr we crack up, right? It's, it's hilarious. It's funny, but what if it was a joke? Think about it. like, what if it was a Jew arrived and he came across another Jew? So you'd like to think oh, it would be so special. We'd, this would never happen, right? Never. This would never happen. We'd never be so petty, right? But, but think about it. like, we're like, 
metaphysically, spiritually, and practically, we are just a family of brothers and sisters in the deepest sense. And it is quite crazy that it takes a tragedy or a terrorist attack for Klai Yisrael to come back together as a family in Achtas, right? It's like, think about how long those things last for, a week, a month, then it's back to infighting. And the norm is that there's literally 150,000 different types of misnagmin and chassidim and right wing and modern, and this type of hat, and that type of bekesha, this type of kippah, this rabbi, that they're halimud. And the things we have in common are literally, it's like ikari emunah, torah shabiksav, tariag mitzvahs, torah shabalpeh, halacha. The differences, there are differences and they are important. And there's some philosophical differences, there's some cultural differences, but the main differences are emphasis in the Vodas Hashem. And the result makes no sense. Like the fact that there are Jews who hate each other and don't talk to each other because of these things, like it's crazy. It makes no sense. And it's like the real reason is very vulnerable. The real reason is because everyone is trying to hold on to their grasp of truth. And if someone else is right, it must mean that I'm wrong. So even if it's not conscious, like subconsciously, we believe that they have to be wrong and they have to be going to Gehenim because I have to be right. Because if they're right, I must be wrong. And if I'm wrong, so we basically take control over the truth and we say, I know the truth and they don't. But if you, first of all, recognize that there is a spectrum and there's so much value in the things that you might not necessarily be good at or be born into. And that number two, even within your own life, embracing every piece of truth and starting to build your life as a great masterpiece, a great symphony, a great painting. Like if you did that, you can live the greatest life imaginable where you don't have to say like, the only thing I'm gonna learn is halacha, or the only thing I'm gonna learn is gemara, the only thing I'm gonna learn is nakshava, the only thing I'm gonna learn is maser. I'm only gonna learn science. I'm only gonna get a job. I'm only gonna build a great marriage. I'm only gonna take care of my health. I'm only gonna figure out how to support my family. I'm only gonna live a life of meaning and purpose. I'm like. Why would you want to choose one? You don't have to choose one. It's like you don't choose which days of the week you eat. You don't choose which days of the week you breathe. Like there's certain things you always need. Realizing what you're truly capable of. And, and here's the thing. A lot of people, the reason why, and the reason why systems choose a specific thing and basically said, this is the only value. If you talk to real people who are thinking people, especially Gedolim in every system, they'll say like, yes, like the Haredi community chooses this value, the modern Orthodox chooses this, the Yeshivas chooses this, the Zionistic chooses this, this Hasidic chooses that, that Hasidic Hasid movement chooses this. But everyone really at a deep level, especially people who are like really the leaders in these communities, a lot of them really do believe in, in the other value of the other system, but it's just really hard to build a system that makes sense for everyone. So you choose one and you say, that's like the most important value. But as a yache, like you can definitely try to take responsibility to raise the standards of your life. And, and that's the most important thing. A lot of people, they don't think they're capable. It's like, I can only get a job. I can't learn Torah too. I can only learn Torah. I can't support my family. Like this is just my lot. And if you give yourself permission to have the confidence to say, maybe I was born for something more, you can go on the most extraordinary journey imaginable. It's like the hero's journey. It's like, you look at Avram Avinu, you look at every novel and film, the hero goes on a quest, a journey into the unknown to discover who they are, why they were created, and this extraordinary purpose that they were created for. And Hashem doesn't even tell Avram where he's going. He tells us, he tells Avram to go. And if, if you recognize that that's literally the essence of life, is to view yourself as the main character in your story where 
you're not the main character of the story. You're one of the main characters, one of the many main characters. But you are the main character of your story. And Hashem created you to write your story, to put in maximum hashtalas on maximum bitachal, to go all out, not to just be passive and wait for yourself to die, but it's like, what would happen if you actually, it's like, think of it like this. You're already alive, so that means that you're already going to die, which means that you're already all in. Like, you're playing this game. Like, whether you like it or not, you're here. So why don't you see what would happen if you actually tried to figure out what you're capable of and pick the best possible way to spend the time that you have while you're still here? Because if you did, it's like, we go back to our original question. It's like, what kind of house do you want to build? It's literally the only question that makes sense to ask. It's like, you, you're not just like, it's not just a job. It's like you have, however much time you have left to live, do you have any idea what type of story you can build, what type of life you can build, the stages of that story? If you didn't just say, I'm going to do this every day, all day for the rest of my life, that's it. But like, I actually say, like, what would life be like if I was inspired by the people who are doing the things I really want to be doing to say what my life could be like if I really tried to see how that would look like in my unique way, if I decided to become the version of me that I really think maybe Hashem created me to become. And, and we'll just end with this, which is once you have that- Rishmo, idea, I want to go to closing, Rishmo, I'm sorry. Hmm? Yeah, I'm just going to tell you, I want to go to closing. Okay, so let's cl- we'll close with this idea. We'll just, I'll I'll, 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 let's pause you for a minute. I'm going to pause you for a sec. Let's wrap it up, and then I'll leave you with a closing, okay? Can we do mm-hmm. that? For sure. Okay, first of all, gracious guys, Rav Shmuel Reichen for coming on tonight. Tremendous, deep conversation. I don't think we ever really discussed this topic, I have to be honest with you, maybe in different versions, but not like really like what we did tonight. So it took 146 years to get it, but we got here. So we appreciate that. Um, again, if anyone wants to join the WhatsApp chat, please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066 and say my number. Or you can go to menachemberfel.com and sign up for his weekly flyers and all the information in the replays. Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday at 9.30 on this Zoom ID, we have different important topics, different abundant and therapist. Mitchell, June 18th, we have a surprise guest. Menachem is waiting to confirm it. So Menachem, let's go, confirm it, right after the share tonight. So join us, it should be powerful, deep, meaningful, and let people know about it so, you know, everybody can be, join. Everything is recorded. Mitchell will be at menachemberfel.com. If anybody has any questions, please email coachmenachem at gmail.com. Listen to the share at share 146. So we'll be on the phone number at 848-777-GROW. That's 848-777-GROW. If anybody wants to reach from Shmuel Reichman, you could go to his website, which is shmuelreichman.com, and you can reach out to him. And again, thank you for all the advertising sponsors, like the Scoop, Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central, Kyla Kau from JCN. And Shmuel, Moridik tonight, I'm going to go first to Menachem, and then Shmuel is going to wrap it up. Coach Menachem. Shmuel Um I'm blown away. I think we touched tonight to the core of self-awareness and really to, for a person to become aware of where he is, what's his mission, what does Hashem want from him. And it, like, like you mentioned, there's a lot of it that's subconscious, the beliefs that we have, uh, the beliefs that we have about the world, beliefs that we have about ourselves. And uh, that, that confidence, to have that confidence that Hashem gave me everything, all the tools that I need to live the fullest, my life, not looking around other people, not comparing. It's really looking inside of yourself and seeing who am I and what does Hashem want from me. And I think it's, it, it's a lot of work. And um, just to end off, I think we need a lot of tefillah for that. And a good coach 
or Rosh Hashiva, somebody who can understand you, who you can just um, bounce off the ideas because a person by himself living in with yourself the past 20, 30, 40 years, thinking the same way, seeing things the way you see it, it's just going to take you to that next level, but not really seeing the full picture. But if you can bounce off somebody and ask those questions and sit and think about it and then have the confidence and go for it. So that's, I think, yeah, like you said, that's why we're here. Living a life to the fullest with Torah and Gedula, everything that Hashem wants from us. So thank you very much. And I guess we'll have to reach out to you for the steps to Mitz Hashem. Here, Shmuel, leave us with some Divay Bracha. A thought, quick, one thought. One thought. So again, first of all, a couple of very quick things before we get to the quick thought. Um, tonight's talk was very, very deep, but it was about money. And again, you want to be careful because life is not about money. Like, even though we talked about money, like, life is about what that money will bring. And the whole focus of life is truth. So don't mistake. And like last time I was on, we didn't talk about money at all. Like the whole goal was to make this very different, to make it literally not even touch upon money, the things we talked about last time, which is impossible. But don't mistake in that now I have to focus on money all the time. The entire purpose of life is to figure out what the purpose of life is. And money is a part of that puzzle. But again, the real goal is to build the house, to build yourself, to build your identity, to build your inner awareness, to build yourself into a walking Sefer Torah, to build yourself into someone who is seeing the world through a lens of depth and wisdom and purpose and higher consciousness and interconnectedness and meaning and value and to give yourself wholeheartedly to the process internally of becoming everything you're capable of becoming and then to give everything that's within you to the Yisrael, but only everything that you're supposed to give like there are levels right there's how you reveal yourself as then you'll never fully know yourself but you'll go on that journey the journey really to yourself is a journey to Hashem right you're not going to connect by Hashem by going deeper out into the stars even though that's how you get all inspired by Shem's creation, you connect to Shem by going deeper into yourself. The most intimate relationship and connection you ever have is with your spouse. Then you'll have a very unique relationship with your children, a relationship that you can't even have with your spouse because there's a level of, of love and a unique building from the ground up that like you met your spouse at a certain point in your life, like your kids you're bringing into the world. And then there's how you show up in the world, in the workplace, in the workforce, in the business world, in you know, your shiva, in, the, in, your, in shul, how you give value to the world, how you express the things you believe in, how you share ideas and the very Torah and concepts and ideas and wisdom and your experience and your expertise. And yes, you can make an incredible living by realizing how much is inside of you, but that's not you. A living is a concretized way of expressing your value. You're infinitely more than the amount of money you make. Never forget that. But the most important thing is when you're going on that journey, recognize that you want to build the most extraordinary house the house the analogy the mother give are the houses for olam haba right you experience who you are eternally in olam haba we can talk about a different time it's really an eternal you evolve eternally like it's a never-ending growth process and the, the the greatest essential joy in life is growth and expansion and that's what olam haba is it's not just static it's, it's a, a limited level of level of free will but it's eternal growth. Like that's a deacon, they never rest in the mob, it's eternal growth. But the idea is like this. There are different models of how to approach the equation of how to invest into a life of truth. Now, you're born into a world and as you grow up when you're like five to 18, you're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. 
who am I? Why am I? Where am I? What is the world? Why am I here? How do I make sense of everything? And you kind of like answer some questions and you go through life. And if you're a very internal introverted person, you never stop thinking. If you're a more extroverted person, you have like flashes of thought. But essentially everyone has to make an equation of like, how am I going to use my time and energy? There's so many different things pulling at me. What am I going to do with my life? And the spiritual cheshbon is essentially, most people think it's like, I give up my life for Olam Haba. Like, I devote my life to the MS, to Hashem, to the truth, and I'll get a reward. Like, I'll get Olam Haba. It'll be amazing. It'll be extraordinary. I believe in it. Okay. Now, there are people who say, I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to give up my life for Olam Haba. Maybe I don't believe Olam Haba exists. Or maybe I don't believe it's a good equation. So I'm not going to make the other. Then there are people like 99% of Frumyudin, 100% believe in Olam Haba, but at the same time, it's like, like I'll give a certain amount of myself to Hashem, and the rest is for myself. So 50%, 10%, 90%, whatever it is, however much I'm devoting to the truth, the rest of me is for me. And maybe it's even a partial truth, because I just need it. I just need to relax, I need a break, I need to take time off. But here's the most powerful key that you can ever, ever contemplate. When you go all in, when you go all in, I mean immersion, like when you get into a flow state, like I love music, right? Music is not a bunch of clinks and clunks. It's when the clinks and the clunks come together where you no longer hear the notes, you just hear music. It's when the notes, when, when, the, when the spectrum of light comes together, you just see white light. It's when you're in a flow state, when you're immersed in something involved where you forget that time exists, you forget you need to go to the bathroom, you forget that you're hungry, you love your life, you love who you are, you love what you're doing. There's nothing like that. But you got to go all in to get to that. So a lot of people, they don't get that because they just think it's a game. It's like an equation. It's like, I devote some time, Hashem gives me a reward. The greatest reward imaginable in this world is living the life of Torah and now, that's not to say that's the whole reward. There's something infinitely more, but that's the greatest way of living this life. So most people think it's an equation. Give up this world for Olam Haba or get this world and don't get Olam Haba. Here's the, the brilliance. You can have your cake and eat it too in the most infinite sense, as in the only way to live the most extraordinary life in this world is to devote your life to meaning and purpose and truth and figure out who you are, why you are, devoting your life to all that matters. And it's like, life is so hard. Life is difficult. It's painful. So many things you can't control. The only thing you have is how you choose to use your time, to uplift your time, to devote it to something meaningful and purposeful, to essentially turn your story into a meaningful story of growth and contribution, to be all that you can be. What else would you want to do with your life? It's the most extraordinary life imaginable. And yes, you're going to get infinitely more in all of that because you're going to experience who you became. It's a direct result. It's not that you have a horrible life here and you enjoy it in all of If you had a horrible life here, I hate to break it to you, but Om Haba is an, ex- it's an infinite expansion expression of what was here. So if you're tapping into everything here, that's what you enjoy in the world to come. If you figure, if, if you still had a five-year-old equation system where you do mitzvah points, you hate it, it's a game. Like the Raman talks about levels. Like that's what the Raman says, you shouldn't really do it for Om Haba. You shouldn't do it for any other reason, you should do it for its own sake. Because like that is the ultimate joy of tapping into everything you could tap into while it's here. And yes, you're in a finite body. Yes, it's limited. Yes, you're not perfect. Yes, you can't do it the way you one day will be able to. But if you go all in, you have no idea what this life can be like. And like, I'm genuinely just going to ask you, 
Like, what's the point of this? Why, 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 do, why do I do it? Why don't, why don't I just sit by myself and write books and write give shit? Like, why do we do this? Because there's a value in this. Because out of everyone who experiences something deep here, some people won't act on it, but some people will. And some people will act on it for a week. Some people will act on it a week for it will go dormant and they'll reactivate a month later. Some people will just go. And one, one person will go and they'll never go back. And so this is worth it. Like if you're listening to this, if you're connecting with this, if right now across this virtual world, we are in the same room, the same just channel of consciousness and something is happening, like give yourself permission to not go back. Like this is the real, this, this is the, like most people, they think like this is the inspiration, life is down here. But this, this is life. This is it. Don't go back. Don't have your weekly highs, your weekly inspiration, your weekly reminder of what life could be like if I was like them. It's not like them, it's you. It's literally you. Like, give yourself permission to be that person. And I'll just end off with what's become one of my favorite ideas. When I was younger, I went to an amazing shear, amazing shear. And the speaker ended off by saying, someone in this room is gonna be the one. It's going to be the one who leaves the shear and goes and, and acts on these ideas and lives these ideas and ultimately one day shares it with someone else. And I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one. And went back to my car and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be the one. And then this voice in the back of my head said, there you are. What makes you think you're going to, like you've never done anything with your life. You're normal. You're you're an average guy. You can't really do anything. You're like just like stop dreaming. And I listened to that voice and it took a long time before I believed that I was going to be able to give myself permission to try to see what I was capable of becoming. And I realized that as great as that cheer was, that was the worst message ever because it's not that there's like the one, like the special among us, the chosen one who are different and gonna go on like everyone else is just kind of cursed to normalcy. It's like every single one of us is the one. And all that means is that the Rambam says everyone can be a tzaddik like Moshe Rabbeinu. And Vachana Wasserman says it's just not true. But the Rambam didn't say you can be as great as Moshe Rabbeinu. He said you can be a tzaddik like Moshe Rabbeinu. So Rukhana Wasman explains, a tzaddik is someone who actualizes their unique potential. Everyone can actualize their potential like Moshe Rabbeinu. And here's the best part. Many people don't believe that their greatness is that great to begin with, so they don't try. So on an objective level, you know, with a few greats and everyone else just has the low standards. If you become all that you can become, I promise you it's objectively great. I promise you. Become world-class. How have I, we should live in a world where one day when everyone's great, the new standards have risen and that's no longer great. It's normal. It's normal to be great. If you really, really, really believe that it's worth pursuing, that you can become all that you can become, that's the only thing worth doing. It doesn't matter what other people think of you. It doesn't matter how you compare to others. It doesn't matter if your great is not even as great as someone else's good. Building the work ethic and the drive to become all that Hashem created you to become will give you the greatest life imaginable. I promise, I promise. My bracha and my deepest request is that this is just a seed. And you immerse yourself in these ideas, this content. You remind yourself on a daily basis of who you are, what you're striving for. 
you raise your standards, you find the right people to surround yourself with, you just elevate the goals for your future. You hold yourself accountable. You build a life that makes sense. You start to value your time. You start to respect yourself. You start to believe that you are here for something that only you can achieve. And that is literally the greatest opportunity imaginable and the greatest responsibility. And you say, I want to use all my time to be all that I can be. And that's all I want. And I'm going to build the life that not only makes sense, but that I would choose to live if I looked back. And I don't want to one day say, I wish I could be younger and do it again. I want to remind myself what I might think looking back and live proactively that way. To definitely still raise our standards and come to be inspired to go further, but to really rethink how we think about the inspirational high and turn it into the fundamental standard to an extent so we can live an inspired life of growth, of success in all areas of our life that we think we were born to be successful in, which really just means actualizing our unique potential. And wishing everyone here such tremendous atzlacha in the journey to the truth. Amen. Thank you so much. That was really powerful. And I want to end, or oh, she's not here. And thank you so much, everyone, for coming. And we'll see you in next week, same time, same place. And like what she would say, I'm right, we love you. <laughs> Zagazant. Zagazant.